Welcome to the Like Iron Research Review, a subsection of the Like Iron podcast where we pick an academic article and discuss it. If you enjoy nerding out about strength, fitness, and performance, this is the podcast for you. Remember, research is ever-changing and our views and opinions will change as well. None of the information in this show should be seen as medical advice, and you should always talk to your medical provider before starting a fitness regimen. Let's get into the cast, like iron. Hello and welcome to the Three Little Pigs podcast. Uh, this is our Three Little Pigs research review. Uh, my name's Shannon. I'm Wes. And today we have a paper, um, again by John Kiley, I think we reviewed a John Kiley paper last week, or last episode, or two episodes ago. This one is entitled Periodization Paradigms in the 21st Century, Evidence-Led or Tradition-Driven, published in uh, the International Journal of Sports Physiology and Performance, again, authored by John Kiley. It is a another kind of like current opinion paper, which, uh, as we discussed a couple weeks ago, isn't actually doing any systematic review of the literature or any actual research. Uh, do you have anything else to say about that? Aren't we, aren't we reviewing the periodization theory confronting an inconvenient truth? Oh, shit. Okay. It's the same thing. It's still by Kylie, though. <laughs> it, yeah, okay. So it's I have both of them up. I just, okay. <laughs> yeah, it's really similar. Um, I'm confused. Yeah, I don't have anything to add other than, yeah, it is a current opinion paper. So it's basically, you know, an interpretation of the evidence at large, but it's not, they're not doing an actual study. They're just reviewing the literature and coming to a conclusion um, and potentially challenging some previous paradigms. Mm -hmm. Again, for anybody confused there, I was wrong. The paper is Periodization Theory, Confronting an Inconvenient Truth, also by John Kiley. It's kind of a, I think, a more recent one. He published the other one in 2012. This one's, they talk about the exact same topic, so they're both a good read. So basically, this paper is kind of challenging current or classical periodization theory, almost. So, Wes, what is periodization? I think we should start by defining that for our listeners. Yeah, in general, um, I think the way it's been taught for a very long time is it's just an organized long-term approach to training variables, you know? So it's like, how do you structure your training in the long run to get the quote unquote, you know, best outcomes? Mm-hmm. Anything you want to add to that or. No, yeah. That just definition? Some structured training program that yeah. it, it generally follows a like similar trajectory, you know? So it goes from like, usually the classical periodization goes from high volume to low volume low intensity to high intensity and follows these discrete blocks, right? Would you agree with that? Yeah, I think that, you know, there are different periodization models. And so you see some that are linear, like the one you talked about, some that are undulating, like the one that you talked about. Um, I think in general, they're not all mutually exclusive, you know, and so you can have different periodization models uh, within each other. But yeah, I think in general, conceptually, it's organization of training variables over time, you know, and programming makes up those you know uh, i guess blocks or whatever throughout the periodization model yeah. mm-hmm. um so to give a background of periodization basically it's a lot of it's 
as this paper says as well, is a lot of it's based on kind of like stress theory and how that came and how that came about in the 30s or 40s. And a lot of it was proposed by a guy named Hans Selle, which he and he proposed what's called the general adaptation syndrome, which basically means that like there's a general response to stress and that response to stress, in this case, training stress, uh, follows this specific triphasic response. So the, there's an alarm, there's response, and then there's exhaustion, right? Would you agree with that little brief synopsis? Do you have anything to add? Yeah, the only thing that I would add is it was a, rather than a specific, it was a non-specific trajectory. And so um, that's why it was kind of coined like general adaptation. So like no matter what the stress was, you know, it was kind of like this uh, non-specific trajectory. Um, well, non-specific, but, as, yeah, yeah. but it followed this specific, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, there's always specific. this response and this, like, yes, okay. these yeah, steps of response. Yeah. yeah, I agree. So what are the flaws with that? Because that was, like, proposed by Hans Seeley in, like, I think, the 30s. So we've come a long way, and, and we still kind of, like, cite Hans Seeley in the research and uh in basic textbooks on periodization yeah i think one of the problems is um first of all it basically takes into consideration um the physical i guess elements of stress and so it's like he applied some sort of physical stress to rodents and you know they followed that triphasic response that you were mentioning that was like an alarm then a resistance and and then, you know, some sort of like adaptation, but it followed, you know, that's a non-specific trajectory. And one of the issues I think is that it really only took into consideration the physical aspects and it didn't necessarily take into consideration some of the other aspects that um, go into stress, like the psychological aspects, the emotional aspects, you know, uh, just to name a few. Yeah. I think you define it as like, culmination of all like biological processes with stress so and in this paper there's a quote from him saying that like the, the stress response is kind of uh, a purely physiological and medical phenomenon is how he imagined it when we all know there's other components like the psychological one yeah but i think the bigger problem with it is it he his vision of it is that it's like a species-wide phenomenon and it happens like the same for everybody mm-hmm. in, in similar manners when kind of more recent work has showed us that uh, the stress response varies not just by individual, but by like this situation and the specificity of the stimulus, as you said. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. And then I think another thing that was really interesting is how it went from, you know, rodent models um, and now it's been applied and kind of been like the prevailing theory in the coaching world too. You know, even in this paper, it says that so you never, you know, considered the application of this to sporting domains. Um, but yet, you know, we still use this as like the thing, you know what I mean? Like everyone says like, oh, we're always talking about general adaptation syndrome. Um, but, you know, fail to consider the other non-physical uh, things that influence stress. Mm-hmm. Cool. Do you want to talk about any of like, the confusion or controversy behind um, this as it's applied to sport? Yeah, so 
when it applied to sports, basically telling us that like we can predict. I think the whole premise is the problem is uh, it's saying we can predict the like the stress response of an individual, right? And so periodization set up in a way that goes from point A to point B in very discrete, pre-structured, like sometimes like years in advance for some people uh, in a like manner from a, from this top-down system. But that's again following the the Han Selly kind of model, even though like. <laughs> The, the stress uh, research world has kind of moved on from that model. It seems like we're stuck. We're stuck in that. So I think the main problem is that like we're really bad at predicting. So we should have ways to accommodate that in our programming. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I think that um, it becomes really challenging. I, I would say even in practice. Um, to have an athlete comply and, you know, really actually see progress on a structured program that is not willing to change based on, you know, how well they, I guess, pro- you know, progress from that given um, program. And so I think something that needs to be taken into consideration is it's useful to have, you know, a framework, but it's also, I think, responsible to monitor that athlete and change the programming if need be due to other life factors outside of just the training, you know, cause shit happens in life and that can affect, you know, uh, the allostatic load. Should we talk about, um, allostasis and how they define it here and potentially, um, how this is more along the lines of the current literature on the total accumulation of stress? Yeah, sure. So, yeah, why don't you go ahead and, and hit on that? Okay, cool. So I think that one thing that Kylie brings up is the concept of allostasis, and he's basically discussing how there are more than just the physical aspects that go into stress. And so he goes on to discuss things like immunological things, you know, neurobiological things, uh, psycho-emotional aspects that all influence stress, which then therefore all impact the amount of stress that you know, a specimen can basically recover and adapt from. Um, and this allostatic load is basically the accumulation of all those stressors rather than just the physical stress from, you know, programming and how, um, you know, uh, man- monitoring and managing this load can be incredibly, you know, useful in athletes' performance and long-term success. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, I just saw um, this little quote on it. I, I thought kind of, was pretty good and basically it says uh allostasis is not a specific set of tightly controlled like homeostatic conditions that must be yeah. defended but a set of collaborative processes that strategically deploy resources to preserve functionality in an unpredictable and dynamically changing environment so yeah. i think that right there at the end is key that it's yeah. a dynamically changing environment so if we set up this uh this this system or this program that's just so predicated on this plan that takes us from point A to point B and we start we start at the end and work our way back. It doesn't yeah. like like we said earlier, it doesn't take into account the the dynamics of the person and how their their response to the stress changes over time. Yeah, absolutely. I think a really good point that you made there was, you know, we are a moving target over time. Mm-hmm. You know, and so 
you're not just going to be able to like linearly predict, you know, your response to something. That would be super nice if we could, but that's not how it happens. And so it's like at one point in time, one snapshot in your life, a certain amount of stress, you know, maybe appropriate, but at a different point in life, you know, um, there may be more stressors involved, or you might need, you know, more physical stress to adapt from something, or you might need less because the amount of, you know, psychoemotional and all these other stresses are very, very high. And so you need to do a good job of monitoring your progress and the life stresses, um, collaboratively, you know, not just the physical aspects, but, you know, in, in general, I would say most things are multifactorial, you know, like there's going to be a lot of things that influence how much, you know, you can, you know, train and recover from and subsequently adapt to at a given snapshot, you know, and then uh, doing your best to monitor those things over time is very useful, but realizing that situations change and you change as an organism is also incredibly useful. Yeah. So, so we've talked about kind of the, the problem with the traditional theory and the traditional periodization system that it's um, predicated on our ability to predict all that stuff it doesn't take into account a, a changing environment so we talk about the problem let's talk about the solution so what do you think we could do to improve our planning for athletes um we can talk about powerlifting specifically since that's who we predominantly train but yeah how do so how do we improve this system what do we do so i think improvements for powerlifting would be to shift the paradigm from pure periodization like top-down approach to, I would say, almost uh, a mixture of a framework, but a bottom-up approach. And so you can have this general framework, like an outline of, you know, what you want, because you still need to have some sort of a plan. You know, it can't just be fly by the seat of your pants all the time. Like you need to have some sort of plan. Um, But I think that plan needs to be willing to change and auto-regulated based on the stressors involved in your life and also how you're responding to the given physical stimulus in the gym. And so I think things that you can do, and this kind of goes back to our philosophy on training that you guys have heard many times before in previous podcasts is individualization of training program. You know, I think it's useful to use previous experience from that given athlete um, to make reasonable predictions for future outcomes. But I think that um, what's really responsible again is to, you know, I would say, uh, be willing to change the program if need be, if the athlete isn't responding well, isn't complying. Um, I would say that in general. What, what do you have to add to that, Shannon? Yeah, no, I agree with that. But uh, I would say, yeah, having some sort of uh, like, A, being able to track data and track uh, response based on specific you know, stimulus and stuff. Um, so basically just having some kind of like feedback process in your programming or you're working with the athlete where, uh, you're keeping track of how they're responding to something and then changing that as you go, if need be. So again, as you said, have a plan and, uh, like plan out maybe from, from top down this framework, like you said, and then build up from there or change week to week as need be. Um, that's where auto regulation comes really handy too. Kind of yeah. like gives us some flexibility to take advantage of that ever-changing environment. Yeah. And having little things like uh, just tracking like volume and tracking estimated one rep max and stuff, so we can kind of see what's happening 
with the variables of the program. And then also yeah. just developing a relationship with the athlete. Like you need, yeah. need feedback. That's why I think periodization and sometimes really popular, it kind of gives us, or like classical periodization, I'm not saying periodization is bad in any way. It's very good. But like classical, a classical plan, you just give it to an athlete and they go with it. It's almost like laziness. Like they don't want to develop relationship and build from there. You know what I'm saying? Yep. That communication is key. Otherwise, you, don't have, you have nothing to go on. Yeah. I think um, to add on to that is also that you know initial athlete buy-in that we've talked about in the past and developing a trusting relationship with your athlete. Um, but that trusting relationship will also allow them to open up to you and discuss the things that, you know, maybe more sensitive to them that is occurring in their life. Uh, you know, by no means are we like psychiatrists or clinical psychologists, but, um, there is a outside, you know, psycho-emotional stress aspect that goes into performance in the gym and being, you know, your, your athletes, you know, friend or someone at least they can trust in is I think incredibly useful because then they can discuss those things with you. And then that can help you better, you know, adjust programming if need be. Like if they're, you know, not sleeping, if they just had a kid, if they just, you know, went through a divorce, if, you know, they just, you know, lost a bunch of money, um, all these things, maybe if they're sick, you know, all these different things can, uh, really affect, uh, one, their motivation to go to the gym Two, actually how they respond from that given stimulus, you know, um, their compliance, like there's just, again, everything is a multifactorial effect. And so having that initial buy in a trusting relationship, I think will do you wonders as a coach and, um, getting that athlete to perform their best in the long run. Yeah. yeah so if, if modern stress theory or, stress science uh is telling us that like response is kind of like a biopsychosocial phenomenon where there's these psychological components you need to be able to pay attention to those like yeah. your athlete, if you're working with your athlete online then have ways to track that have ways or at least an open line of communication where they can talk about it if you're working with them in person then just ask them how they're doing the day like you know i think it really just comes down to again developing that relationship yeah. If you can't uh, identify those problems, then it's just like, oh, the program's not working for because it's a crappy program. It's like, well, yes, but not because of the specific variables, just because of like their internal environment at the moment. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, do you have anything else to add to this? Um, honestly, I think that the key takeaways, because I mean, that about wraps up. It's a very long paper. Um, but the paper in general is discussing, you know, previous stress theory compared to the stress theory that we have um, today and some of the controversy between those two, you know, and how it's evolved and how we can apply it to the training world. So it is very long and it's well written, um, but I think we've covered the key points fairly well. I think take home, again, going back to being a coach and developing a program, you know, step one. I would say create a trusting relationship with your athlete. You know, if you're the smartest human being in the world, but you have crap people skills or just don't care, you know, it's going to be really hard to use your skills in an effective way. Um, so, you know, work on trusting relationships with your athletes. Two, you know, develop, I'd say, a, a mutual plan. So talk to them, 
and then also use your expertise to develop a plan. Um, realize that shit happens and your plan's probably going to need to be <clears throat> auto-regulated. And so be willing to change your plan based on life circumstances. Monitor the athlete, you know, realize that they're a moving target throughout time. You know, use previous training history to do your best to see what's worked in the past and use that to help, you know, gauge, you know, what could potentially happen in the future. Um, but then also, I would say, just really work on the individualization aspect of things and realize that, again, sometimes what looks good on paper doesn't actually work out all that well in the real life because of the other outside factors from the gym. So just be willing to change, be a good communicator, um, develop, you know, trusting relationships. Do you have anything to add to that? No, I would just like to end by reading my favorite quote from the paper, just because it kind of sums up everything you said and everything we've said. Um, so Don Kiley says, uh, we need a structured training framework, yet one that is flexible and tolerant of change. We need goal-directed coherence, but simultaneously must facilitate seamlessly consistent course correction in response to dynamically emerging information. So yeah. adapt. Don't just plan these adaptations for your client or athlete, but adapt the program itself to them as well. Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, all right. This has it. been... Yeah, this has been a like iron research review. I think it'd be cool to do like an actual podcast on this topic too, yeah. where we don't just talk about uh, the paper, but also like, you know, a system to do it. Yeah. All right. Thanks for listening.